This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. And welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is no stranger to the program and always brings a great perspective to one of our most popular topics, snakes. Terry Vandevender is passionate about Mississippi snakes, and he joins us to answer your snake questions. We'll also dive into Snake Day that's coming to the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science next week. Dr. Major's here ready to answer your pet questions. And we always like to hear your brushes with wildlife as well. Lots to talk about, so you can join our conversation this morning with your phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday morning, there is a repeat broadcast every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, and Libby, not a whole lot of events to talk about, but you do have uh, a couple of things to mention. You know, yeah, the outdoor events have kind of fallen off, I've noticed. I think it's getting hot and, and buggy. Uh, and we were just talking about synchronous fireflies, though, and fireflies in general. And this is a great time to see them. If you get out late, it, right at dusk, you've also got the mosquitoes to deal with. So if you if you wait a little while, the mosquitoes are not quite so bad. 9 o'clock, 9.30, uh, take a quick little stroll if you've got some dark woods in there, some fantastic displays. The synchronous ones in the Jackson area are about over, but I uh, just heard from a friend in Oxford, and they, they're kicked in up there pretty good so there are a lot of places where you can see synchronous fireflies and i think almost every place that you can find some dark you can see other species of fireflies so that's a fun thing to do and snake day coming up now it's wednesday this time instead of tuesday right right right. it's normally the first tuesday in june every year but we had to do it wednesday this year okay so it's going to be june the 5th Oh, that's because the 4th of July was Tuesday. Yeah, I just yeah. realized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so June the 5th, Wednesday is the Snake Day. And then not long after that, the following weekend, June the 8th, the dinosaur exhibit is going to be at the Natural Science Museum. So right. that'll be worth seeing. And if anybody's got anything else around the state, they need to call us this morning. All right, very good. Uh, we are going to be talking snakes today, and uh, Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 But every time this year, Dr. Major, we like to remind our pet owners of uh, things to keep in mind. When the weather gets hot, we keep ourselves cool, but we need to keep our pets uh, safe and cool from the heat as well. So what are maybe just some basic tips uh, to keep in mind when the weather gets hot, hot, hot like it does in the summer? Several things. You know, shelter and somewhere to get out in the shade. Water uh, is very important, just like for for humans. Overexercise uh, certainly can be an issue uh, as it gets hotter. And the humidity right now is very, you know, it's been very high. So that tends to make uh, things a little bit worse. And uh, somebody may correct me if I'm wrong, but I have seen more heat stroke in the past before the 4th of July than after. And I think it has to do with acclimation, getting used to it. And uh, But some of our dogs really are quite heat tolerant. Others uh, especially the overweight dogs can have some issues with it. But water, uh, make sure that there's plenty of water, water that cannot be turned over. Uh, 
and uh, certainly some way to get out of the sun. And I remember a couple of the other ones that you've mentioned before, uh, ones that I had never thought about. And uh, one of them is uh, when you're taking your dog for a walk, be mindful of how hot uh, the roadway or the surface is because it can uh, bother the bottom of their paws. Uh, And then the other one is if you take your dog to the lake or out somewhere and they're running around having a good time, uh, make sure that they don't. I mean, I I think especially of Labradors, but I mean, I would think they love that. And so they don't kind of know when to stop. So you got to keep an eye on to make sure uh, that they don't uh, overexert themselves when they're out having fun. Certainly uh, they can overheat uh, going in and out of the water. You would think that there's water available uh, like at a pond or a lake that they would not uh, have heat, heat exhaustion. But. I think it's more exhaustion there, and it's quite, quite hot and humid. So, uh, I come back to the uh, the pads of their feet. Certainly, dogs that are walked or who are running loose on asphalt, which is not a good idea. But uh, certainly, they can burn those pads uh, severely and can cause some issues. Uh, and I'll say that happens to humans, too. I was uh, visiting my brother in Pensacola for Memorial Day weekend. It was quite hot. I had forgotten my uh, beach shoes and had to run across the uh, parking lot. Uh, and it was just, you know, just a little bit over there. And, and the bottom of my feet got quite hot as well. So uh, that's uh, keep that in mind for our dogs. Uh, and it, I don't know, some people might walk their cats. I, I don't know. I saw uh, something online that a family actually had their cat on a leash. So I say credit to you for that. Uh, but uh, be mindful of that and just keep in mind, you know, always uh, watch your pets. And if you're noticing behavior that seems a little bit unusual, uh, that might be something to investigate uh, with your vet if it if it seems to be something um, out of the ordinary. Uh, we do have an, a pet email here as well that got sent in this morning. And it says, I have two nine-year-old rescue cats that are inside outside and in good health. The female has very long black hair. Recently had her groomed for the first time, hoping to help her manage better in the summer heat. Does grooming actually benefit, or should I leave her as is in the future? You know, probably not that big a deal with the heat. Uh, a lot of these longer-haired cats mat up, though, and they have mats, making it very difficult to uh, for them to groom themselves, if you will. I'm not sure the case here, but uh, I suppose, you know, first of all, the cat doesn't like to be sheared. Uh, secondly, uh, the uh, mats, though, are usually the main reason that we have to share cats. And I would say that, think about this, cats are not the dumbest things in the world when it comes to self-protection. On a hot day, you don't see a cat running down the street. You might see a dog or two. But <laughs> but cats cats are going to seek some shelter uh, and stay, stay where it's cooler. Uh, they may move around, but they're not going to be doing a whole lot during the, the hot sun. So I would say in answer to that question, uh, it's not going to hurt to do that, but uh, I'm not sure it's necessary. Uh, but you're right about mats. You know, the, the other cat I had before, my current one, uh, she got in a bad matting problem, and it, it doesn't look very good, and it, it's kind of hard. If you don't kind of stay on top of it, uh, it can be very difficult to uh, to get rid, you know, to get rid of them. We've seen mats so bad on some cats they could hardly walk. In other words, they were restricted in being able to get around. So I think it's important to... Uh, one, train your cat to let you comb it, if you will, or brush it out. But some cats will not tolerate that, and the mats do have to be taken care of. And again, uh, a product we've mentioned in the past that I have used with my cat, although my current cat does not particularly like it, and that's the Furminator. It is amazing mm-hmm. when you use one of those kind of 
combs that'll kind of help keep the fur the coat uh, looking good uh, how much spare fur uh, comes off of there and so uh, and most cats you know my other cat really enjoyed kind of being combed the the current one I guess he's a little testier, but he doesn't quite enjoy it as much. But uh, like I say, that's a good way to help keep your pet's uh, fur in, in good condition as well. And they have, you know, some for cats, some for dogs, some for small yes. cats. It, it's a whole line of products. And, you know, we're not, we're not uh, I, like I say, the, the common disclaimer, none of us own stock in the company, but I think it's a good product. It is, yes. All right, so we're going to be talking snakes today with our guest, Terry Vandeventer. Uh, if you have a snake question or a question for Dr. Major, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Mississippi's home to about 40 different species of snakes, and some might even be in your backyard. So what kind of snakes might you see this summer, and what to do if you encounter a venomous snake? Those are some of the things we hope to be talking about throughout the hour, along with your questions. This is Creature Comforts. We'll be back in just a few minutes, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hardfield, and our guest today is Terry Vendeventer. He's here to talk about the snakes that call Mississippi home. Well, we're going to be talking about the snakes that you might encounter this summer. We'll talk a little bit about venomous snakes as well. Uh, and Dr. Major is always ready to take your pet questions. If so, if you want to join the conversation, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Terry, welcome back to the show. If you could remind us a little bit about your background. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm a, a snake biologist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a herpetologist, which is a, a biologist who deals with reptiles and amphibians. And while I enjoy all of those things, uh, snakes have always been my my passion since I was four years old, and that would be 62 years ago. <laughs> so, but, uh, but this is what I do. It's my job, and it's, uh, it's my hobby, and, and it's uh, one of the most important things in my, in my life. So. And, you know, you've been on the show with us before, and I think one of the things that we, we try to point out is that while there's a natural fear of snakes for them, a lot of people, snakes aren't particularly fond of us either, and that Kind of if you maybe just let them do their own thing, uh, we can coexist. Oh, exactly, exactly. Snakes don't hate people. <laughs> they just don't. And the last thing any snake wants to do is have a fight with you because they will always come in second. Mm-hmm. You know, So they just want to be left alone, catch a few rays, catch a few rats, find a girlfriend snake. All the things we want to do. You know? <laughs> so, so, yeah, they're, they're really nothing to worry about as long as you educate yourself, use an open mind. Uh, we're going to be talking with Terry throughout the hour. Uh, we've got a phone call to get to, so let's uh, invite Chaz calling in from Independence today. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I love your show, and I love the topic. Thank you. Uh, I've got a real question, good question for you and the doctors, and uh, that is um, the venomous snakes here in Mississippi. I'm pretty new to Mississippi, and I've heard that I should have something on hand, uh, maybe a prednisone or something like that shot for um, I have a husky, and she likes the ponds. And um, I've just heard that there was something on hand. I live so rural that probably couldn't get to a vet in time if she was bitten. So I'd like to see if you could recommend any any kind of uh, medication I might be able to get uh, for preventative. And my second part of the question was, I understand that king snakes go after snakes, and I wonder if there's a place to 
purchase king snakes? Who right. wants to go first? <laughs> makes no difference. Here, here's the issues with snake bite uh, in dogs. Of course, probably our most common in most areas where you've got water would be the, quote, water moccasin. Uh, the real problem that I see with most of the dogs that are bitten by that, number one, what does the dog do? They stick their nose down to investigate the snake, and they get popped on the face. Swelling can ensue uh, unless it's on a tongue or somewhere like that. Usually it's not a fatal situation. Uh, however, if you read the statistics and this, everything, that most all dogs will get over this with minimal care. However, there are some cases where antivenom might be required, and uh, I have seen some where they're bitten uh, on, on the tongue or on the nose, and certainly that can cause some respiratory-type thing. As far as prednisone, uh, no, I would not recommend that. Uh, the other thing would be if you had to choose where a dog would get bitten, certainly would be around the face as opposed to the leg or foot because if it should uh, cause some necrotoxin uh, with the water moccasin, it should cause some sloughing, there's not a lot to cover the bone and skin there. So... In my opinion, those those bites can be more severe. Terry? Yeah, and snakes seem to have a, a natural high resistance to snake bite. And I've, I've heard of very few snakes that, you know, of, of snake bite fatalities in yeah. dogs. Uh, where, you're in Independence. Where is Independence in Mississippi? Chaz? North, um, south of Olive Branch. Okay, okay, that that helps me out, helps me a bunch. So um, one thing to mention too is many bites that take place on on the face and muzzle is don't forget to remove his collar, take exactly. his collar off. We've yes. had that happen numerous yeah. times with long haired dogs. Right. Plus, huskies are big dogs, and uh, larger body mass uh, helps a lot in a snake bite. Now, as far as king snakes go, king snakes do in fact get their name from eating uh, other snakes, in particular venomous snakes, but. Many snakes eat other snakes. Uh, as a matter of fact, the one snake that probably eats more snakes than any other is the cottonmouth, believe it or not. <laughs> but uh, you can't buy king snakes to release on your property, and, and um, biologically that really doesn't work. Uh, your, your property has a certain carrying capacity. It will only hold a certain number of king snakes, and you have king snakes. They're, they're abundant in Mississippi. They're a dominant species. And the ones you will see will be black with little white, white or yellow polka dots all over his body. It's uh, Grandma's salt and pepper king snake that lived in the garden. So, all right, uh, Chaz, go ahead. Thank you so much. I appreciate all your help. All right, great. Thanks for your call. We got some open phone lines. If you have a question for our guest Terry Vendaventer about uh, snakes or Doctor Major about your pet, uh, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can email the show as well. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Terry, we mentioned Snake Day at the Museum of Natural Science in Jackson is Wednesday, June 5th uh, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. If you could maybe give us a little details about some of the things that will be going on that day. Great, great. That's just next week now. And uh, Snake Day over the years has been one of the most popular and and, uh, heavily attended events at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. And it's going to take place from 10 in the morning till about two o'clock in the afternoon and we will have many many species on display we'll have volunteers who will be taking the animals out of their cages allowing you to look at them closely and and uh, find out learn more about mississippi snakes we may have as many as 
25 or 30 different varieties of snakes. And then at 10 and noon, yours truly will be there doing live programs where I'll be talking about snakes in Mississippi and we'll be taking some out and just doing a, a live educational demonstration. So uh, I hope we have room because there's going to be a lot of people attending. So. Oh, yeah. Usually there's, they've, they've done a good job of spreading out those snakes in the past. So mm-hmm. you can get a lot of people in there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, it's sometimes standing room only. Yeah. <laughs> so, Terry, I remember from years ago when I went to Snake Day, I was kind of amazed at the sort of the variety of sizes of snakes. So give us an idea of how small to how large snakes we find in Mississippi oh, yeah. can be. Oh, yeah. Um, the little earth snakes, or sometimes people call grass snakes, that they find under landscape timbers and in monkey grass in the springtime, you know, are you know, eight or nine inches long. Their lifespan is three or four seasons. You know, they're tiny little snakes. And then we have things like eastern diamondback rattlesnakes that may weigh 12 pounds and, and be over six feet long. And the indigo snake, which is arguably the largest snake in, in the United States, may reach a length of, of nine feet. Hmm. Now, there are no records. There's no such thing as record sizes of snakes, contrary to what people believe. There's no record book. But um, we're enamored by big snakes. You know, it, it was a big one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll talk in, uh, throughout the hour about uh, some of the snakes that we might see this summer. But back to the phone lines we go first. And we begin again in Jackson with Tina on the line. Good morning, Tina. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Go ahead. I have um, two questions. My first question is dealing with my cats. I have two cats that um, I rescued in their over two years old, but they continue to get worms. I'll treat them, and they'll get worms again. I put the, um, you know, the stuff you put on the back of their neck for mosquitoes and um, um, fleas and stuff like that, but they continue to come up with the worms. Okay. Do you, do you know what type worms these are? It's a pinworm. Oh, okay. We're talking about tapeworms here. Uh, they're flat. Uh, they're small. They'd be on the hair maybe on the stool when they have right. a bowel movement. Make sure that the worm medicine you're using is effective against tapeworms. Uh, it's, sometimes it's very difficult to understand, but you know there's worm medicine for roundworms, hookworms, this sort of thing. What type of flea control are you using? Okay, I use Advantage too. Okay, be uh, certainly uh, judicious with that. Make sure that it's working. Sometimes we have to switch to a different uh, flea control. Uh, I would say that in judicious work with that. Do they go outside? No. Okay. Well, well, one the male he I let him outside occasionally because okay. he just begs so bad. Right. Sometimes I they'll, let him. Sometimes they'll bring fleas in even though they've been treated, and if they groom themselves and swallow a flea that has the uh, tapeworm uh, larva tapeworm uh, in it, uh, they can do that even though they're on flea preventive. So be careful with that. And uh, well, I also I have a pomeranian that goes out yes. in and out all the time. Okay, so, so they may be bringing some fleas. Uh, you live in Jackson, uh, in, in a populate, fairly populated area. Yes. So there are probably stray cats and uh, this sort of thing in the area. So you're going to have a source of fleas. Be judicious with the flea control and also on, on the pomeranian. But uh, make sure that the medication you're using will kill. Uh, the tapeworm, okay? Now, the tapeworm is the long, 
No, it's not Thin. necessarily. It can be okay. quite long, but it usually breaks up into small segments. Right, it does. Uh, it's and uh, that's and segments are what full of eggs. Basically, they fall in the environment, uh, whether it's the carpet or uh, outside, and then they go on and mature. Uh, so just be sure that uh, you're using worm medicine that takes care of the tapeworm. Okay. And my second question is, what can I put around the house on the outside to um, keep snakes away? Well, since the the ancient Greeks and Romans, we've looked for a snake repellent, and there's no such thing. You can go to the big box stores and you can buy various name brand snake repellents, and it's been proven over and over again they they simply do not work. And uh, in the South, the most common snake repellent are mothballs, and they do not work. Um, a na- uh, you know, your your neighbor sees a snake. They've lived at their house for 20 years. They've never seen a snake. Then they see a snake, and they put mothballs out. Then they never see another snake. It worked. And it must have worked. But uh, they're dangerous. Um, Children eat them. Pets eat them. We have about 50 mothball poisonings a year in Mississippi from pets and and children. So best thing to do, keep your property clean. Keep up with the Joneses. Mow your grass. Get rid of piles of wood and piles of metal sheet roofing. And do away with rats. Uh, do over shelter, and hopefully the snakes will just pass on through and go over to your neighbor's ratty place. So, <laughs> so really, there's no such thing as a snake repellent, regardless of what you see in the stores or what your neighbors tell you. All right, uh, Tina, thanks for your call. Let's uh, move on next. We'll go to Sandra calling in from Andalusia, Louisiana. Sandra, you're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. Good morning. Morning. Bogalusa. Sorry. Bogalusa, My bad. Go ahead. Okay. My question is for Terry. We've had um, a big conflict with the definition of water moccasin. Right. Now, I've always thought water moccasins were cottonmouth moccasins. But my husband says that they are also non-poisonous and that you can call a mud snake a water moccasin. Could you solve this sure. argument, please? <laughs> sure. Water moccasin and cottonmouth are two colloquial names for the same snake. Okay. But... Uh, when you go out in the swamps around Bogalusa, you're going to see a lot of of, uh, of of aquatic snakes sitting up in the bushes in the sun, shining like new money. And those are generally harmless water snakes. But people will often say, they'll often distinguish, and they'll say, uh, that's a cottonmouth, back off, he'll bite you and hurt you. Or they'll say, oh, that's an old water moccasin, he can't hurt you, don't worry about him. So sometimes people distinguish between the two and they say a water moccasin is a harmless snake and a cottonmouth is a dangerous snake and then most people just use the names interchangeably so neither one of you are wrong <laughs> neither one of us is right <laughs> well no no you're you no, i think right. yeah i yeah. think you're both right so yeah okay. we have many different people you know a rose by any name so snakes go by a lot of different colloquial names Okay. All right. You just have to check the shape of the head. Kind of, kind of. I won't get into that too much, but okay. really not the best way to tell. Most snakes do have wide triangular heads, and uh, many snakes can make their head look that way when they're frightened. So the shape of the head is not a good way to tell a venomous snake from a harmless snake. Mm. So uh, that's okay. kind of an old, 
kind of kind of hard to get past that. People have, have heard that story so many times over the years. So just just leave them all alone. You know, take two steps back, walk away, live and let live. Unless you're in the boat and I follow the boat with you. Never had that happen. I hear about I it, but I've never had it happen. <laughs> so. Okay, well, thank you so much. It sounds like this argument is going to continue forever. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot. You're Thanks welcome. for your call, Sandra. Uh, let's uh, move on. Next, we've got uh, Susan, who's called in from Louisiana as well. Good morning, Susan. You're on the air with us. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. What do you have for us? Um, I was mowing the other day, and a little snake shot out. And it was black with, like, red flames, you know, on its tummy. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And I went and looked at my mom's old book, and it said it was a fire snake. That's an old book. <laughs> no, it, it, so it was it was shiny black and it had red on the stomach that kind of came up on the sides like flames. Right. Okay. What you have is a mud snake. A mud snake. They're really. Go ahead. What was it? A mud a snake. A mud snake. A mud yeah, snake. They bur- they, to be a mud snake. <laughs> <laughs> well, they live in they live in bayous and swamps and and uh, and they so tend. We're kind, of, we're kind of swampy on the lake. Yeah, there, yeah, <laughs> I thought so. But yeah. they're they're completely harmless. They get quite large. Uh, but yeah, they're, well, I accidentally mowed him later. So. Yeah, <laughs> but if if you yeah. talk to your grandma about them, she's going to call it a stinging snake. A stinging okay. snake. That's the most common name for the for a mud snake is a stinging snake, with the idea that it has a deadly stinger in the tip of its tail, which Ow. which it does not. It does, it does not. not. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now tell me how to get rid of twenty five cats. Oh. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. They're just popping kittens out right and left. A couple of things. If are you feeding them? Oh, yeah. Okay. I got to. Well, they're your cats, then. Okay. Yeah, they're my, they live in my house now. Right. Well, what, what we need to do, you need to spay and neuter. Uh, that's And there are some groups that can help you with that. But that okay. needs to be done, or else you're going to have 75 well, or 100 kids. I've, I've got a pause here. I'll go up to Miss Lydia and ask her. Okay, well, <laughs> I do think I do think that we need to work with that. But you can, yeah, you, me. You can cut that off, okay? Yeah, and I'm riding around with two dogs in my car. Okay. Two dogs. Yes, ma'am. I really thank you all so much. All right. Thank you. Susan, thanks for calling in this morning. We need to take another break. When we get back, we will continue our discussion about snakes with our guest, Terry Vandeventer. Uh, If you're thinking of getting a snake as a pet, we'll talk about that. Um, Also, Dr. Major here, ready to answer some pet questions. So if you'd like to join our conversation with a phone call, you can give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Something to think about during the break. In every state, there's at least one species of venomous snakes, except one. When we get back, we'll tell you which state is venomous snake-free. When we return, so stay tuned. Whether you're a thrifty shopper or someone who likes to buy the whole store, Change is the program that will allow your purchases to show your support for the quality content on MPB Radio. This easy and no-hassle program rounds up your credit or debit card purchases to the nearest dollar and sends us the difference. You support MPB and get something nice for yourself. To sign up for Change, visit our website, mpbonline.org, and click support. Support. 
Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest for the hour is Terry Vendeventer, the Mississippi's snake man. We're talking about snakes today. So if you have a question for Terry or a pet question for Dr. Major, uh, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Before the break, we mentioned that there's one state in the U.S. that does not have any species of venomous snakes. If you guessed Hawaii, you are correct. And you won a free trip to Hawaii. No, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but another reason to, to take a trip to Hawaii, love the beaches and everything there. You know, it's a great de- uh, vacation destination, and you don't have to worry about venomous snakes if you go there. Uh, we've got some calls to get to, but Terry, first, if you would, just tell us maybe about a couple of the different kinds of uh, of snakes that Mississippians might see this summer. Sure. Well, Mississippi has 56 different kinds of snakes, and uh, of which six of those are venomous, 14%. That's not very many. Right. But um, the most common snakes we see are rat snakes, your grandma's chicken snake. And we see little decays, brown snakes under landscape timbers around your house. King snakes are always welcome around, black with white polka dots, speckled king snakes. Uh, racers, uh, yesterday I, I walked out to my mailbox and was greeted by a beautiful copperhead lying right by the mailbox. And I posted that online and everybody came, thought that was really cool. So people are really getting more and more uh, open-minded, I, I hope. I hope they are. And the, the snake wasn't waiting in you know, to ambush me or anything like that. And I took a few pictures and put them online. So um, welcome to Mississippi. You know, we have, we have snakes. So, but so yeah. And, and as it gets hotter here, we're going to see fewer of them because okay. snakes will become more nocturnal. They can't take the high temperatures. Springtime is when we see snakes. And you mentioned earlier, if you come across one, take a couple of steps back and yep. I mean, and no sudden movements though, just very deliberately just back out of the way and, well, for some people, it might be a sudden movement. <laughs> but yes, uh, you know, uh, I, I know it offends people sometimes, but, you know, we have to talk facts. Snakes don't chase people, you know, and people come up to me after a program and say, you say snakes don't chase people, but I got chased by a snake. And that kind of puts me on the spot, but they don't have any feet. They don't have any legs and their top speed is, you know, four or five miles an hour maximum. But uh, if you take two steps back, three steps back, whatever you're comfortable with, the biggest rattlesnake in Mississippi can't bite you. You know, you're out of the danger zone. But just back away and observe it. Everybody has a telephone in their pocket, and everybody has a camera in their pocket now. Take a picture, send an email to or a text to me or the Natural Science Museum. We'll tell you what it is. All right. Back to the phone lines we go. We'll start again in Ripley. Buford is on the line. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Uh, What I'm calling about, I've got a bunch of thin oak trees around my house and all, and, and the squirrels is absolutely trying to take over. Hmm. I need something other to eradicate them with. This, this young generation has quit squirrel hunting, you know, and all, and all they said is a, a phone or a computer. Is there anything I can do to get rid of these squirrels? Yeah, a big rat snake will take care of those squirrels. <laughs> yep. yes. A 12-gauge shotgun? No, I would say a big, rat, a big rat snake can go where your 12-gauge might not well, be I don't able want to get. Snake. Oh, but you got to have a hunt license. Don't you hunt squirrels? I don't have to have a hunt license. I'm handicapped now. If I, if I wasn't handicapped, well, I could handle that shotgun. I know what would I try to do to them. <laughs> but is it a chemical that I can use to put out and put up around the, in the trees? The war dogs can't get to it. 
No, I don't. No. I wouldn't try that. No, because if it falls out of the tree, then it's going to poison. Pretty much any mammal can be poisoned, including people can be poisoned by the same things that that would kill squirrels. So I I would well, not try know, that. A squirrel, a squirrel could be poisoned just like a rat, couldn't he? Yes, he could be, but like I say, but he's so mobile, he could he could knock that poison down. He could choose not to eat it and knock it down, and then your dog or you know anything else could eat it. I think it'd be a problem. All right, uh, Buford, thanks for the call. Sorry, we don't have more to offer, but I would also say let your dog out after him. I mean, I, when we had uh, our dachshund, he used to love to go in the backyard and, and chase squirrels all yeah. the time. So might keep the squirrels at bay and also give your dog a little bit of exercise along the way as well. All right, uh, let's continue on. Next, uh, Tina's on the line from Hattiesburg. Good morning, Tina. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hi. How you doing today? Good, Good. morning, everyone. Uh-huh. Listen, I have a 19-year-old cat, and I'm concerned that lately he started purring really loud later at night, and he tends to not want to use his uh, litter box all the time. I've seen him trying to spray, and I've also walked in on the other end, so I'm just trying to figure out what is causing him to do this. Good question. Uh, you know, the, the purring, I don't know that I have any real advice about uh, why he's purring more. Uh, a lot of people equate purring with uh, contentment, and sometimes it can be equated with pain also. Uh, this cat probably has arthritis, I would imagine, at 19 years old. Uh, maybe make a litter box that's more accessible uh, than the litter box that you have now. And uh, is he going... Uh, close to the litter box no it'll actually be it's, okay. it's like we have cats around the outside of the territory so i don't know if he thinks that they're close by from right. the air from the outside in so right. i'm not sure what he's thinking okay could be there are some uh pheromone type collars that might help uh which have a calming effect i'm not sure why he's doing this but i suspect that uh he has some <laughs> arthritic condition causing some of this and as far as him wanting to spray, he's been neutered, right? Yes. Oh yeah, I figured he had a long time ago. <laughs> long time ago. And the source of some of this may be the outside cats. They can come around and and can cause some issues if they can get to the door or something like that. They'll spray and can create problems in a neutered cat. So I I would have to say talk with your vet. It may be time to have him checked up if you hadn't checked up recently. And okay. see if there are any conditions that might uh, might be able to help. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right, Tatina. Thanks for your call. Let's uh, move on. Next, we'll talk to Gene calling in from Mobile. Gene, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. All right. Looking, I got a little Boston Terrier, and about uh, two weeks ago, there was a little place on his neck looked like where he'd gotten cut, and it was just a little patch of blood about an inch long. Looked like it was dried blood. So when I bathed him the next day. I washed that area off, and as I washed it off, the hair began to pull out. And I pulled the hair out after the fact, and it looked like little bulbs on the end of it, uh, like a uh, like a lily bulb or something, you know, in the hair. And it all come out, and it looked like a, a what we used to call a little carbuncle, where I think had several different heads on it. But as soon as I got the hair pulled out of it, it didn't bleed. It had a little bit of blood, but, not, but it began to clear up, and it's clearing up. And I'm just curious of what it might would have been. What, Sounds like a little skin infection of some sort. That the dog may have scratched it uh, for some reason, and bacteria could have been introduced. But it sounds like there was a bacterial infection going on. 
Well, it's healing up good, so I, I wasn't concerned about well, that. I was just curious. I'd never see anything. When you pull that hair out, it looks just like a little small onion, you know, with a little okay. knob on the end of it. But that it's is, clearing up good. That is a little strange. You sound like you did a good, good doctoring job there. Well, uh, I, I put me some of that Neosporin on there. Well, I can't hurt him, and he can't lick it behind his ears. There you so. go. <laughs> well, listen, thanks for the call. Uh, I wish I could you, tell man. you more. Appreciate thanks. it. Bye-bye. All right, Gene, thanks for your call. Next, we've got uh, our friend Sue from Beaumont on the line. Good morning, Sue. Hi. I just want to make a comment about the Hawaii and snakes. Okay. Because I know that uh, I've been to Hawaii, and it is wonderful not to have snakes there, but right offshore, it, it, you know, Hawaii's in the middle of the Pacific, and there's poisonous sea snakes out there. I wonder if that counts. Yeah. Well, for our contest, Sue, we're saying that does not count. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Hawaii does have a yellow-bellied sea snake, which is a... The widest ranging snake in the world. They occur all the way around the world in tropical tropical seas, but they're uh, they don't bite anybody. They don't bother anyone. Uh, they're they're not harmless. I mean, they're highly venomous, but they they don't bother anybody. And uh, Hawaii does have another snake, though. It it has the flower pot snake. Okay, it's a little tiny snake, three inches long, big as a thread, and they uh, uh, are almost blind. The little shiny snakes. And they're almost found worldwide. They've been transported around the world in potting soil. And uh, oh. and so now they're in Hawaii, but they, they don't hurt a thing. Right. Terry, isn't there an invasive snake, though, that's uh, possibly come yeah. to Hawaii? Yeah, the brown, brown, brown tree snake right. from that's Guam. That's a bad one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Right. And so they have uh, special dogs at the airport, in, in at, at airports in Hawaii, who will check airplanes when they come in to make sure that uh, the invasive a brown tree snake is not on the airplane. They don't want this snake to, to come to the Hawaiian Islands. So, All right, Sue, always good to hear from you. Thanks for your call. So we mentioned aquatic snakes, and we talked, I guess, about the water moccasin. Are there other aquatic snakes in Mississippi? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have lots of aquatic snakes, lots of water snakes, uh, five or six different varieties just in the area. And uh, and then, of course, there's the cottonmouth, which is, or, or water moccasin, you might call him. And uh, they're not endangered. They're they're quite abundant they're in the culvert under your driveway they're in my swimming pool they're you know they're everywhere and but if you leave them alone honestly and when people see them they make every effort to kill them they 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 mess with them and as a result we have snake bites and mm-hmm. alcohol figures into 50 percent of all snake bites <laughs> and you know and, and we laugh i laugh about that but nonetheless uh, it's a contributing factor for sure so um, most snake bites are, are completely avoidable just leave them alone, and, and they're not going to bother you. So. All right. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Terry Vandeventer, our snake expert here on Creature Comforts. Time for one final break this hour. When we get back, we got a couple of phone calls to get to and some open phone lines, so if you'd like to join the conversation, you can. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this, so stay tuned. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Levy Hartfield. And our guest today, Terry Vendeventer, our snake expert. So we've been talking snakes uh, throughout the hour and also taking some pet questions as well. 
Uh, got some phone lines to get to, some phone calls to get to, so we'll go ahead and start again with Andy in Starkville. Good morning, Andy. You're on the air with us. Hey, how you all doing? Um, I love the show on snakes. We've got a very snake-friendly farm here, but I'm, calling, right. about my, I'm calling about my dog. Um, it has a chronic itch problem. It's, I think it started with an ear infection or something, and taking it into the vet like wrestling a gorilla. Um, <laughs> he's about 80 pounds, and he just freaks out. And I'm wondering, is there any... He, he itches constantly. He scratches and digs and... Is biting on himself, and um, is there anything I can do? Okay, what what do, what do these areas look like where he's uh, scratching and digging? Well, they get you know he digs and, and they get red and and scabby after a little while, you know. Right. But he but where the the skin isn't broken, it, it it's pretty red. Okay. You know, you know uh, he really needs to be looked at and try to determine the reason uh, why he's scratching. I realize he's hard to get into the to the vet, but I think it would be wise. There could be any number of causes. A lot of times right. after they scratch, uh, they'll introduce uh, either yeast or fungus or bacteria into the skin. A lot of times you'll see the skin turn kind of gray where it's uh, been uh, abraded for a long time. So my suggestion is get him into the vet because this is something that could get worse. And... Uh, you know, I would just say I can't give you a lot of advice without actually seeing right. him. So, yeah, good, that's what I was afraid of. Right. Good luck to you. So, all right, I'm going to need it. All right. Okay. Uh, thanks. thanks, Andy, for your call. Let's move next. We got uh, Todd, who's in Jackson. It looks like both a pet and a snake question. Good morning, Todd. Go ahead. Yeah, two brief ones. Uh, the first is I'm wondering if the cost and shelf life of antivenom uh, allows vets to routinely stock it in their offices. Um, in answer to that question, yes, uh, it's not terribly expensive now. We had a problem finding it for a long time. Uh, there is uh, antivenom, and the shelf life on that, you, it's shipped frozen, and uh, you can, I think the shelf life, they say, is two years. Uh, so uh, it's available, and talk to your vet about keeping it. Not every snake bite needs antivenom. But uh, the ones that do, it's nice to have it on hand. The other question is quick. Is I'm wondering for professional snake biologists when they're in the field and they know they're going to be working with uh, venomous snakes, what special precautions they might take? Well, um, I've worked with venomous snakes from Canada through the Amazon Basin in South America, and I, I take no particular precautions. <laughs> I wear regular hiking shoes, and I take... Uh, never a snake bite kit. Snake bite kits are, are you, you never ever want to invest in a snake bite kit. They're, they don't work and they're harmful. And of course, we don't carry antivenin. That's something that a, a physician would have to administer through an IV. And so, you know, I watch where I put my hands and my feet and my seat. And, uh, and I handle, you know, venomous snakes professionally and I was trained correctly. And, but um, I have knelt down next to snakes i've sat next to venomous snakes i've stepped on them i've stood on them and uh of literally tens of thousands in my over 60 year career have never had a single snake strike at me as i passed uh i've uh, i i knelt down on a large diamondback rattlesnake in georgia my knee went right down on his head and pushed him down like an ottoman and he did nothing and so um 
understanding snakes and understanding their nature takes you a long way with being safe. You know, now that's not the responsibility of everybody to know everything about snakes. But as far as professionals go, the most I've ever known anybody to do is wear tall boots. You know, we, yeah. So, so that's, that's just watch, watch where you walk and show them respect and take two steps back when you see one. All right. Yeah. All right, uh, Todd, thanks for your call. Lex, uh, next we've got uh, Jackie, who's called in from Bruce. Good morning, Jackie. You're on the air with us. Good morning. I have three house dogs, a healer and a terrier and a rat terrier, and they're all licking the tops of their paws, and they do not have fleas. What could be doing that? Okay, there may be something in the yard that they're coming in contact with. Uh, I I have a big dog. She's 105 pounds now. Yeah. And she licks her paws. I try to wipe her feet off when she comes in. Uh, yeah. And if anything has been sprayed in your yard, which it may or may not have been, but no. still they can be uh, quite allergic. One of the problems is that get, they get used to doing it, and they lick excessively. Uh, it's like a cat grooming itself almost. So. Uh, think about what they might be coming in contact with. Uh, talk to your vet. I would have to say that if there are no sores, uh, that probably it's not something that's going to be uh, eliminated completely. Uh, it may be seasonal. I don't know if you've noticed that, whether it's uh, year-round or whether it's uh, more than spring and summer. So good luck with that. I wish you could see them so I could tell you. But if there are no sores, it may be more a habit that they're licking. All right. Jackie, thanks for your call. And our last call of the hour, a snake story from our friend Kathleen in Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. So apropos, I mean, it's got baseball and springtime and kids. We were in New Orleans. Ground rules were if you hit the ball out of bounds, you had to go get it. Well, one time it rolled behind a board that was leaning up against the house. We didn't think anything of it. Stuck our hand under there, got the ball. We were good sports. So my dad came and wanted to move the board so we didn't have to do that. And sitting behind the board, there was about a six-foot cottonmouth. <laughs> I think he had about a heart attack standing there. We kind of wanted to go see it. He goes, no, no, run back in the house. <laughs> well, I, well, love, I love the show on snakes because it helps educate me. And Lord knows I don't need to surprise a snake. And I trust you, I will not sit next to you at a picnic if you <laughs> I will not come by you if you go that close to them. Well, you Y'all know, have a good day and enjoy it. All right. Well, thanks. thanks. Well, well, one thing for sure, an encounter with a snake will make you act silly. Uh, for, you know, <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, we've only got a moment before we go any further. I just want to point out that that I don't want people to think I'm being flip about this. Snakes do bite people. They certainly do bite people, and some snake bites are accidents. Uh, the vast majority of snake bites are not accidents. They're from a direct uh, interaction with a snake. Someone sees it, and they realize it's a, a venomous snake, and they, take, they make a conscious, deliberate effort to try to kill or in some way bother that snake. So accidents do happen, and many people are just enjoying nature, and, and something bad happens to them. And, you know, we know that. But So I don't want people to think that, that I'm telling you the snakes don't bite people, but most snake bites, the vast majority, some, some people say upwards of 80% of snake bites are, are completely avoidable by just leaving them alone. 
So. And a lot of the damage that's done by the snake bite is by the person that's bitten, either putting ice or oh, cutting circulation yeah. off, that sort of thing. Snake bite kits, ice, stun guns, a split chicken. <laughs> I mean, you, you know. <laughs> but come to snake day. All right. So if, yeah. if you ever are bitten by a snake, what should you do? Uh, get your car keys. Get your cell phone. Uh, it's good to call uh, an ambulance rather than try and transport yourself because an ambulance can immediately put in a, a drip and begin treating you in route. Mm-hmm. And whereas, uh, you know, you may drive yourself and uh, you may, your blood pressure may drop cause you'd have a wreck or something like that. It's better just to, to wait, but, uh, elevate the wound. Uh, tr- if you're bitten on the hand, which is where most bites take place, simply, uh, elevate it, uh, as if it were broken. Like you put it in a sling, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as if it were broken and just keep it still and, and wait for transport and then leave it up to, to the doctors. And, you know, and I think things are getting better. So. All right. So one final reminder, Snake Day at the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science is next Wednesday, June 5th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, Terry will have two live snake programs at 10 a.m. and at noon. Uh, there'll be craft and snake related activities as well. So that's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by generous listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, you could go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest, Terry Vendeventer, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next at 10, it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.